0: You're really creating a new partnership, and you're making sure that you have shared values, you had shared vision for the business. Where does NuCo want to go, and is that consistent with the objectives of the family and the shareholders?
1: Selling a business is often a -a once-in-a-lifetime transaction. There are tons of factors, and the stakes are high. So how do you get it right the first time?
0: That's a key component to ultimately having our client pick the winning bidder, which may not be the winning bidder in terms of price, and they just feel like there's a better partnership that can create more long-term value for the shareholders.
1: I'm Patrick Pacheco, and you're listening to In Good Companies from Cadence Bank, the podcast where we answer the toughest questions facing your business and guide you through the company lifecycle from start to sale and success to succession. You've built a valuable business, but you don't want to run it forever. Maybe you want to retire or you want the freedom to pursue other ventures. Perhaps you just want a little more financial security. You put nights, weekends, heart and soul into making your business operational and profitable. So how do you transform that business into liquidity? How do you cash out your chips at the end of the night? Well, the short answer is to sell your business, but that's an answer that only leads to more questions because who do you sell it to? How do you know you're getting the fair price? How do you manage what would be, for many of us, a -a once-in-a-lifetime transaction? The first step is to talk to the right people, and that's what we're doing today.
2: So I'm B.J. Green with Cadence Banking in the state of Georgia.
1: B.J. is the Georgia Commercial Banking Executive at Cadence, and he's focused on financing needs of mid-sized companies. And though he doesn't conduct business sales himself, he introduced us to someone who does.
2: We try to be strategic advisors to our clients and prospects, and when we find situations where a business owner may want to sell or look for some type of liquidity event. I like to bring in somebody that I feel very confident in that I think will handle the situation the right way and be as professional as you know we would hope. And so VRA would be a very first call for us. Good afternoon, I'm Mark Leffler. I'm a, a
0: co-founder and managing director of uh, VRA Partners. It's a boutique investment bank here in Atlanta. Probably 60 or 70% of our business is what we'd call sell-side M&A advisory. So representing sellers of companies, uh, seeking liquidity events and helping them find new partners.
1: Both BJ and Mark are technically bankers, but they specialize in very different things.
2: I think the big differentiator between what Mark does and what we do is Mark is really looking for that growth. And I think a prospective buyer is coming in to see what is the art of the possible over the next three to five, seven years if they were to own this business. Our approach is more, we're a lot more interested in just getting our loan paid back. So consistency of earnings and cash flow, making sure they can execute on, on their plan and quite honestly, taking a more conservative look at the business. But it's all about, for us, the blocking and tackling. The growth is, is equity. And I think the sustainability and the consistency is where the, the debt piece comes in. Before you engage in any of the M&A steps,
1: it's important to consider your goals in selling your business, because that will shape the whole process.
0: Our job in going into a sell-side process is really to listen to what the objectives of the shareholders are, and we, so- we try to solve for that. Some of our sell-side clients or families or founders, are they've taken the business as far as they can take it, and they really want to sell hundred percent of the business and there may be a transition role they play for a year or two and then they want to move on others are potentially younger or pretty excited about the notion of partnering with a private equity firm and we'll solve for that and in some in many instances they don't know and our job is to go out to strategic and private equity firms and create optionalities and alternatives from which they can pick the best deal and the best partner
1: Even if he's not directly involved in the process, someone like BJ could be a great resource in deciding if you're ready to sell.
2: If we're doing our jobs as bankers, we are having those strategic dialogues with companies a lot. It may be more along the lines, I'm, I'm thinking about selling, how do the markets look from a multiple perspective, or how should I think about this process? If I were gonna do something, what are the right firms that I should be thinking about? and i would say for sure i've had business owners call me there's there's a company here in town that just went through a sale process they ended up selling to a family office and the ceo would call me maybe two or three times and just bounce things off of me to say you know you've been through this more than me am i thinking about this the right way are there hidden issues or concerns i should have or this is how it's going can you just react and so it's just a part of being a banker. I think you get to know these people, they trust you. And so you're in a unique position to to help them and give them advice because you've been there before and you've got the experience to maybe help them. For most of these business owners, it is the first and only time that they will sell a business. They have built it from scratch over 15 or 20 years. It's their one shot to do this and get it right. And so they are very careful and sensitive about how it's executed and doing it the right way. And I think that lends itself to some dialogue. Sometimes, before you've even
1: considered selling your business, opportunity comes knocking. But BJ has some words of caution if that happens. I'm sure that you get calls every once in a while from from business owners, clients that say, BJ, I got got an offer to buy the business today. Just out of the blue, somebody sent me a letter and say they want to buy my business for X. How how do you suggest uh, business owners handle that type of
2: approach? It's a really interesting question. That happened to one of our clients A couple of years ago they were approached by a company that was consolidating businesses in their space and they went ahead and made a deal and closed a transaction with an unsolicited buyer I think it hit their valuation targets and metrics and that kind of thing my advice would be and I would strongly discourage sellers from doing that I think that it's in their best interest to hire somebody like Mark and at least have the conversations with a professional investment bank to talk about all the different trade-offs that may happen, if you will, and thinking about who you're selling to. In my mind, the best way to reach the right valuation is to run a process. It may be a limited process, but I think swinging at the first pitch doesn't always provide you with the best outcome. So if you can be a little more thoughtful, a little more patient, think a little more globally or broadly about the situation... I think that tends to lend itself to either A, maximizing the value or B, giving you some ideas or thoughts that you hadn't considered that may be longer term better for you and your family situation because there are are just circumstances that you may not even be aware of that a professional advisor can raise and help you. This company bought our customer for a, a certain valuation and within three months they had packaged that business and another one and sold it to a bigger consolidator for a multiple, you know, two times above what they exited for, and our client did not know what hit them. I mean, they were very naive to the bigger kind of waves or or dynamics in the market that I think, had they known, could have really helped them better their chances to get the right valuation.
1: Speaking of valuation, it will be one of the most critical factors of the m and process. So what goes into determining that all important number?
0: Maybe first and foremost, we look at the financial profile of the particular company. And so what does that mean? It's historical sales and revenue growth would be one, what the profitability, the gross profit margins are, the EBITDA margins are, other things that are critically important in determining valuation. What are the competitive differentiators that a particular company has? could be product differentiation. It could be service differentiation. We often look at the quality of the management team. Can they go through this process? Can they get through management presentations? Can they present their company and their opportunity and their future well? We look at growth prospects. Have they grown historically? What does that look like? What's the future look like? Are there many ways that the company continue to grow organically? Could with the help of a strategic partner or a financial partner, private equity firm, are there acquisition opportunities post-transaction that the company and their new partner could pursue? to others, just the size of the business. As businesses get larger, as they get more profitable, as their earnings continue to grow, those businesses are going to typically trade at a higher multiple. So, a same business that's a $5 million EBITDA business versus a $15 million EBITDA business, there's typically a premium that's going to be paid for the larger business. And then we also try to look at how many buyers would have an interest in that particular company or
2: target or client.
1: Valuation can be an important tool outside the M&A process as well.
2: As a lender, Cadence Bank and, and my counterparts across our footprint, we are enterprise value lenders. So we think about assets on the balance sheet as a part of the equation when we're lending money to a company. But we also think really hard about the enterprise value of the business. and so. A company that would trade for or be worth 12 times to a sponsor, you would put more leverage or you would be able to put more debt on that business than a company that might trade for four or five times. It's a, if it's a cyclical contractor or more in a commodity-like business, something like that. And so it's always helpful for us. And we would call someone like, you know, like Mark to, to help us with valuations if we're thinking about lending into a situation to make sure that we're getting the debt to equity ratios right, you know, based on the valuation of the business.
1: Of course, there will be factors to your valuation that will be determined by the market at large. So when you sell also plays an important role.
2: In any market or any company that's out there, their valuation is going to ebb and flow. There are periods where the multiples might be very rich. And so as they think about timing, you know, there may be a more strategic or more opportunistic time to hit the market versus a time when things are tougher, the credit markets may be pulled back, and so it doesn't make as much sense to go out and think about an exit. So I I think when you do this, a lot of times is important.
1: According to many sources, valuations are currently very high. I asked Mark why that might be.
0: I think the thing that drives valuations in the lower middle market or the middle market for the businesses that we're advising first and foremost is just the amount of capital that has been raised by private equity firms that family offices have, corporate strategic buyers, the cash on their balance sheets. It's never been higher, the amount of capital that has been raised by U.S. domestic private equity firms, hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. It could be north of a trillion dollars. And so why is that important? There's a I'm not gonna call it an oversupply of equity capital, but that that capital has been raised. It wants to be deployed. And I think that pressure to put money to work from a buyer's perspective has had a positive impact on valuations. The asset class of private equity is not gonna go away. It's becoming, the managers are better. They're better at buying businesses. They're better at improving those businesses. And so the large institutions, insurance companies, endowments, pension funds are continuing to allocate more of their dollars into private equity. And that's just great for for us. It's great for Cadence. It's great for our sell-side clients who are seeking liquidity. And that's not going to change. Interest rates can have an impact on valuations. Geopolitical events can have a temporary impact on valuations. but. It's a very good market and it's only gonna get better.
1: Beyond valuation, there are many things that could make your business attractive to a potential buyer.
0: I think that it's, what is the secret sauce? What sort of differentiators does that particular company have? What, are its products better than the competition? Is it leading in a particular industry? Is the service that they're offering somehow differentiated or better? Does it fill a particular hole that a number of strategic buyers may not have in their company or in their arsenal? So I think it's, you know, how that particular company stacks up relative to its competition in the industry. I think most buyers are looking for companies that they can buy or invest in that have terrific growth prospects. Buyers will pay up for businesses that are growing and can continue to grow, their growth multiples. I always go back to the quality of the management team. Is this a team that can, with the support of a new controlling shareholder, continue to grow the business without a lot of oversight from a private equity firm or strategic? And, And I think those are the primary drivers of value. When you're getting ready for a sale, there are a number
1: of areas that you can improve in your business to increase its value before it hits the market. In fact, this is an area that Mark thinks is critical.
0: The planning and the preparation for a sale is key. I I would say that the best transactions for us are ones where there could be weeks, if not months, of thought, preparation, analysis before a process is ever run so when i think about getting a company ready for a transaction it's things like professionalizing the management team looking at the team are there any holes in the management team what are the challenges that i probably need to think about addressing before a a sale process
1: so you know valuations high great time for maybe a business owner to consider a sale what do they need to do to prepare for that sale? What do they need to do ahead of time to make sure they're going to maximize value?
0: Number one is having a clear understanding of what the shareholders or the family or the founders objectives are. Is there a number that they need to get to for whatever reason in terms of valuation? Is there a succession plan? What are the key objectives of the transaction? share those objectives and goals with your team, our job is to solve for those objectives. And if if we can't, in the pitch or the presentation part of our prospective engagement, we're gonna be very upfront about what we can deliver and what we can't. We've sold a number of businesses where, you know, the first meeting was, here's what we think the valuation's gonna be, and here's the process, and it doesn't achieve the objectives of the shareholders. They sit back, they ask, well, how do we get to a valuation of X? And we'll help them think critically and objectively about what the business needs to look like. What do they need to put in place? Where do they need to be from a financial standpoint profile in order to achieve those valuations that they're after?
1: It's also important to think about your counterpart's objectives and maybe more importantly, their deal breakers.
0: Start thinking like a buyer. Identify challenges, weaknesses, holes in your company that a buyer through a a sale process going to uncover and be concerned about. So that could be things like holes in your management team. Do you have a CFO? Do you have an adequate sales force? Do you have enough leadership to continue the growth of the business? It could be things like identifying weaknesses in a particular business. So customer concentration, vendor concentration, uh, lack of financial and accounting controls. A sale is a team effort,
1: so part of your preparation should be assessing and assembling your team.
0: I think the second thing, which I think is important, well in advance of a, a transaction is building a team of trusted advisors around you that can help you think about your business and that sale process objectively. So who who are the team members that are critical to that? So it, it could be your commercial bank or your corporate banker. It clearly is, you're gonna need an investment bank to kind of help you run through that process. You're gonna need a very good uh, corporate m and lawyer. You're gonna probably need a good tax lawyer to help you through these transactions. You're gonna need a great accounting firm that may be able to take your reviewed financial statements and get them to audit financial statements. I think those are the key members of the team that will help make that sale process as efficient as possible.
1: I'll add on to that because I used to, like I said, I used to practice law, but I worked on the personal side. So personal trust, uh, estate planning, and transactions are a fabulous time to do your, your personal planning, leverage that deal. So it's almost like you need two teams. You need your personal lawyer, you know, tax lawyer, you need your business tax lawyer, you need your estate planning lawyer and your corporate lawyer. You know, you need all the same characters on the other side of the fence trying to figure out how it works with your personal planning. At the same time, it's working, you know, what's best for the business. And it can be a little overwhelming for, for buyers or for sellers, but when they do it, I, I mean, I've just seen that just knock it out of the park on, on what they've been able to accomplish. And your team doesn't just include the people conducting the transaction. This is a good time to evaluate your management team because they are a huge part of the value of your business.
0: Let's just focus on private equity firms for a second. Very rarely is a private equity firm gonna do a transaction, proceed with a transaction if it doesn't have the utmost faith in the existing team to continue to run that business.
2: And I would tell you that in my experience, companies that are going through a sale process really need the help to bring in and professionalize their management team. And I think sometimes it can be a blind spot that they're not either aware of or haven't felt the need to address. And, and I'll give you a, a good example. So a lot of private companies, let's say, as for an example, $100 million of revenue or $150 million of revenue, they might have a CFO on the staff that is more of a controller that's done a really nice job help them, helping them grow the business and handling the accounting piece, but may not be a strategic thinker or somebody that might show well through a sale process. And so you could be a little pound wise, penny foolish where you're not thinking about that person and how they might be received through a sale process. And so professionalizing that position, getting the right person in that seat can really provide a buyer with a different viewpoint of the business and have a more interesting or a more thoughtful approach to the company. And so getting that right person in the chair that will show a little better and bring a little more credence to the management and leadership of that business can really help you from a valuation perspective. And I think that holds true in marketing, your chief legal counsel, all those things. And so spending a little money a year or two out to get the right people in the right seats can really do and go a long way as you think about what that sale looks like and how a prospective buyer might view the management team.
1: Now that you've prepared, it's time to start the M&A process. But with so much at stake, it's worth understanding what M&A really means for mid-market businesses. In your experience, Mark, how many times are we looking at something that's a true merger of, of a strategic partner? And how many times is it really just an acquisition? I mean, people call them mergers, but it seems to me like more times than not, it's an acquisition of one business by another.
0: That's completely right, Patrick. I, if you think about our business and probably even cadence clients or customers, bank customers, I would say a vast, vast majority of the transactions that we are doing, the control transactions that we are doing are acquisitions. It is acquiring a 51% stake, an 80% stake, a 100% stake. And so in the lower middle market or middle market, those are largely going to be acquisitions when you get into public companies much larger companies those are more typical situations where there's actually a merger of the two companies there is a sharing or a splitting of the equity amongst the two different shareholder groups so even though we throw around nomenclature like mergers and acquisitions they're really acquisitions for the most part
1: but whether it's a merger or an acquisition, what you're really gaining is a new collaborator, someone who you'll continue to work with or will carry on the legacy of the business that you created.
0: In a lot of the private equity firm transactions that f- firms like ours are going to orchestrate and lead, you're really creating a new partnership. So you are, you're getting a liquidity event, you might sell 70% of the business, and the rest of your proceeds, you're rolling over into NuCo. And so you've got a good partner. So typically, the founders or the families have a significant reinvestment into the new business, the new partnership with that client. And you're making sure that you have shared values. You had shared vision for the business. What, where does NuCo want to go? Where's the private equity wanna, firm want to take it? And is that consistent with the objectives of the family and the shareholders? So. Answer is oftentimes it does work, but it's a key component to ultimately having our client pick the winning bidder, which may not, may not be the winning bidder in terms of price. It may be they came in second or third place and they just feel like there's a better partnership that can create more long-term value for the uh, shareholders.
1: Finally, now comes the sale, but with so much at stake, there's a careful process to ensure no stone is left unturned. And if you thought we were done with preparation, you're sorely mistaken.
0: When we think about the phases of a sale process, it generally falls into three buckets, if you will. The first is really the preparation phase. And so, you know, that could take, depending on the sophistication of the client. Four, five, six weeks to get ready to go to market. And so, what does that entail? It's our team, uh, the legal team, doing diligence, getting organized, fixing holes in legal documents that are going to get uncovered, you know, down the road. It's really creating the marketing materials that are going to end up with uh, prospective buyers. So, the book or the confidential information memorandum, the teaser, the executive summary, and ultimately the management presentation. We typically like to see our clients do a sell side quality of earnings analysis, which kind of supports on a somewhat independent basis the earnings that we are presenting in the in the document. And then ultimately preparing a data room that down the road the buyers are gonna have. Once those materials are drafted, the client signs off on those, they sign off on the buyer's list, which is a obviously critical component. That leads you into the marketing phase, which could be, another eight to 10 weeks. And so, without getting into great detail, that's where we'll start approaching buyers. We negotiate non-disclosure agreements or confidentiality agreements. Books go out, confidential information memorandums go out. There's, depending on the scope of the process, could be hundreds of questions that we're entertaining from various buyers. And ultimately, about a month into that marketing process, we'll get what we call indications of interest that's where the prospective buyers will come back and say, we think ABC company is worth X to Y. And we'll qualify that buyer set based upon their their values. And so that will lead to a selection of, it could be two, it could be five, it could be 10 prospective buyers that are qualified in terms of who they are, their acquisition history, obviously their valuation, And we'll have uh, in-person, typically, management presentations where the buyers will come in. They'll have an opportunity to have dinner or a lunch with the founder and the management team. And the management team will walk through a management presentation with the buyer in the room. I love those because it's really the first opportunity for the management team and the owners to meet and start to vet back to my point earlier, the different buyers and who they are and what their success has been. And a couple weeks after those management presentations are completed, we'll ask for final bids. They look like letters of intent that are fairly detailed, potentially a markup of purchase agreements, financing commitments, things like that from the buyer's perspective. We'll pick a buyer. We'll sign a letter of intent. We'll grant exclusivity for a period of 30 to 60 days, it just depends. And at that point, now you're down to one and you're, the lawyers are kind of re-engaged, negotiating purchase agreements, not, uh, covenants not to compete, employment agreements, all the other things that they've got to do. And you're ultimately closing a transaction in that exclusivity phase of 30 to 45 days.
1: So Mark, what's the timeline look like on, on this type of transaction? What has to be done And what's the timeline that you're looking at?
0: Once a client has decided to engage and move forward with the process, understanding there could be weeks and months prior to that where they're kind of getting ready, they're building a team, getting ready for a transaction. We generally tell our clients that if it's going to be a a sale process, again, whether it's 20 buyers or 220 buyers, it's generally going to take five to six months.
1: It's a long process, but it's not an unduly long process, it seems to move along fairly quickly.
0: No, I think if you hire a reputable investment banking firm that is really, really good at these processes, that's generally the cadence, no pun intended, the time that it takes to complete these transactions.
1: And of course, there's a very important thing that shouldn't be forgotten during the sales process. How about running the business while you're doing all this? Uh, Is focus lost at times during these transactions?
0: The honest answer is, even if you're very well organized, even if you've got a great team of people that can help, management team members that can help you go through this process, it's a second job. And so making sure that you're very well prepared on the front end before the process starts, you've hired a team of investment bankers and lawyers and accountants that can shoulder the burden, the due diligence burden that is going to come as a result of approaching a number of of investors. And just prepare your team for the fact that there's going to be a number of long days and long nights, but it's going to create a great transaction. Obviously, we're trying to create a win-win.
1: With the merger here at Corp South and, and Cadence, I, I understand when you say it's two jobs, because it, it is two jobs. You have your day job, and then you have the, okay, let's integrate everything, and uh, it definitely takes a lot of focus. And just like you have to continue to manage your business throughout the transaction, you've also got to keep a finger on the pulse of your employees. Do you see key members get concerned and and try to jump ship when they start hearing rumors of a sale or or they talk to them and and try to involve them from the start and say, hey, I'm looking at this process. And all of a sudden, it seems like a competitor gets wind of it. Competitors also coming in and trying to snag your key people because they're nervous.
0: It's a great question. And it's always a concern, especially with the family owned kind of closely held businesses. And so it goes back to what the ultimate objectives of the the shareholder or the family is. If there's an inclination that they would like to do a transaction with a private equity firm, take a liquidity event, partner with a good firm, grow that business, and there's a second bite of proverbial apple down the road, that's a wonderful situation where the owners can get with the management team and say, we are gonna go out and find a financial partner that is gonna invest in this business, that is gonna invest in you all, that you all are gonna end up having an equity role in the business if you don't have one right now. And it tamps down the inevitable anxiety that management team members are going to have about a, a transaction and what what happens to their job. It goes back to private equity firms aren't gonna buy a business if they don't have you know faith in the team to run that business. It's a little trickier where the objectives of the family or the shareholder is i want to sell it i want to sell to a strategic and i want to move on down the road Um, then we have to be a little bit more thoughtful about what we tell the team management team when we tell them because there are embedded synergies in the way strategic buyers look at transactions and sometimes those synergies are people and so Having a clear understanding of goals and objectives of the family, the shareholders, the team is important before we we launch into a process and start approaching buyers, whether they're private equity firms or strategic.
1: Between maintaining your business, all that preparation and the process itself, that's a lot to juggle. So BJ's advice, give yourself a head start.
2: I think the one consideration that I would say is that all those things take time. So if you decide you want to sell your business, you don't just snap your fingers and in three months you've got a check sitting in front of you that's for your dream value of the business. It can take you know a year or more to get the right management team around the business to make sure you've got the accounting firm and you might need a couple of years of audits to help you think about kind of maximizing the value of the business start earlier than you think you need to. So I would make sure that if you have this idea that in the next couple of years you wanna sell your business, I would get in front of a a market BRA early and just listen. You know a lot about running your business, you know a lot about the industry you're in, but you probably haven't been through a sale process before. And so let somebody that's done this a hundred times talk to you intelligently about the team on the field, the timing, the professional nature of of the reporting that you have financially and otherwise and do your homework and, and really start to think about how you might do that. And then the second thing I think is, and we've talked and hit on this a lot, you kind of have to know what you want to do. Do you want to run that business, continue to do it? Do you want the liquidity event? Do you have a child or somebody that you know and like and trust that you want to position for all that? And so, You have to sort of sift through some of the noise, but really have a view and come to a decision on what you want to do. And then I think get around the right people and listen to the advice because I think the combination of those things can maximize the outcome that that you want as a seller. Just
1: like a quality business, a good sale takes time, preparation, and a solid team. You spent years building up your business to what it is today. You deserve a strong return on your life's work. But just because you've earned it doesn't mean it will happen automatically. Engage a trusted advisor early to walk you through the process. Build a bulletproof team and prepare them to run the show. Spend the time it takes to address your issues and prove you're not just a good business, but a great investment. I think it's especially important to fully understand your objectives in selling, because how can you be satisfied with the result if you don't know what it is you want? And of course, prepare, prepare, prepare. You've come this far, don't drop the ball now. Thank you to BJ Green of Cadence Bank and Mark Loeffler of VRA Partners. In Good Companies is a podcast from Cadence Bank, member FDIC, equal opportunity lender. Sheena Cochran is our production coordinator. Our executive producer is Danielle Cornell with the writing and production from Andrew Gannum and sound design and mixing by Alex Bennett at Lower Street Media. I'm your host, Patrick Pacheco. If you've made it this far and you got something out of the episode, why don't you go out and give us a five-star rating in your podcast app? It's the best thing you can do to help the show grow and reach more people. And join us next week because when you're with us, we're in good companies. This podcast is provided as a free service to you and is for general informational purposes only. Cadence Bank makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, completeness, or timeliness of the content in the podcast. The podcast is not intended to provide legal, accounting, or tax advice and should not be relied upon for such purposes. To the extent that this podcast includes predictions about the economy, these predictions are subject to a number of variables and you should confer with your legal, accounting and tax advisors for their input regarding the possible outcomes of any economic subject matter discussed herein.